Welcome to the Life Church STL podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages and inspires you. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Okay. Man. All right. So, we're starting a new series, and it's Summer Psalms. You guys ready to get in some of the, uh, the psalms? If you see over here, um, this little uh, tagline or subtitle is Dilemmas in Doxology. Um, so I'm going to start out just kind of explaining why that says that and talk a little bit about it. Um, but really in the psalms, this is kind of what the, the psalms are all about. Dilemmas and doxologies. And you see over and over, and in many of the Psalms, you see even a pattern of, of this happening, even in one chapter, where there'll be this dilemma or this thing, this, this thing happening, and, and then he goes to the point of, of praising God and giving him glory, which is the, the doxology. But that word dilemma the definition is a state of uncertainty or perplexity, especially as requiring a choice between equally unfavorable options. So it's just like this moment where it looks like there's no way out. It looks like you can't really find a good solution. And anybody ever felt like that? Okay, we got two people that are telling the truth, the rest of you are either just being quiet or you're lying. And we don't need any of that in church, okay? <clears throat> but it's these moments where you, you come to where it's just like everything is a bad solution or a bad, an issue or a problem or everything, it feels like it's coming against you and you have this, this dilemma. And, you know, people, it's like... Uh, you know, most people or lots of people are, um, are afraid of tight spaces, you know. I'm not necessarily so afraid, but if you get me really tight space, I'm, I might freak out. Um, but many, many people are very claustrophobic. And, and whenever things feel like they are closing in around you or things are, there's like there's walls all around, you tend to, has anybody ever been to the city museum? And how many have crawled through the little underground tunnel? Yeah, there's a couple. Oh, there you go. There's a couple of you where it gets to where you could barely like shimmy through it a couple of spaces. And uh, yeah, I went through that. It's, it's a little freaky. It's a little scary. But when you get into these, these spaces, it like, the problem is... We have this fear, and the fear makes us freak out, and, and all of a sudden, we're doing all these ridiculous things that actually don't help. I mean, not that it's easy to stay calm, but whenever the walls close in around you, or you're in this tight space, you're, you're all of a sudden just like jerking around, moving, freaking out, trying to run. It's like you can't run because there's a, walls all over the place. But your body is just, it's like fight or flight, right? And you're like, flight, I'm out. I'm going. See you later. But you can't 
actually get the things that are what's going to help you to get out of the situation in that moment because your brain is just freaking out. And it's the same whenever things are just going on around us or when it feels like bad things are happening or maybe in a spiritual sense when it feels like there's this attack and it's like, God, why is, are these things happening? Why is there this attack that is coming against me and I feel like I can't get out of it? And many times in that, we're like fight or flight. We're just freaking out and flailing around and hitting at the air, you know, punching the air and just like, ah, and not necessarily doing what is going to help us to get out of the situation, which is trust God, which is to seek him. And then when you have this doxology, so the doxologies, The word doxology comes from the Greek words that, if you separate it apart, is doxo and logos. And it means glory and words. So it's words of glory. So doxology, what that means, and this word doxology is not actually in the Bible, but it came about when they were trying to create like you know how they separate scriptures into different, like these are scriptures of the love of God and who he is and what he did and all these different different ways. And they, they came up with this name to talk about those scriptures that, that glorify God and talk about who he is. And that's what, how this came about. So it's the word of glory. In Ephesians 1.3, it says, Blessed be to God, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This is a, dox, a scriptural doxology. And whenever you say doxology, I don't know, most of you, maybe, many of you know that we tend to think of this, the hymn. You guys know one of this? It's named the doxology. It's from like the 1500s. And it says, uh, praise God from, who all from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And it's in the same way a, a doxology that was written, a hymn, a song that was written to praise and to glorify God. So that's what we're talking about here, and that's really what is happening in these psalms. It's these dilemmas and doxologies. It's these situations that, that David has gone through and he's talking about, and it's also these praises and words of glory to God for who he is, what he's going to do, or what he has already done. I, I don't know about you, but I love that. And really, in, in these psalms, what's really cool is that it gives us a picture of really what goes on in our life today. It, it doesn't say exactly, so I'm going to be in Psalm 40, and it doesn't say exactly what happened that David was going through, but it just kind of talks about him being in a pit. We don't know if that was of shame or if he was being attacked on every side or anything like that, which I know there was different 
cases in his life of all these different things that happen, but he's talking about being a pit. But I love that, that in this moment, in this scripture, I think that we can put ourselves in there because it's not talking about a specific thing. And when he just talks about being in this, in this pit, in this dilemma, I put myself in there and say, I, I've been in that same place. I've been there. And then I can see how he goes through this song or this, this scripture writing about who God is, the issues that he has had or is in, but how God is everything that he needs. So I think I'm going to read this whole chapter if that's okay. You guys all right with that? All right. I mean, because really, I mean, I, to me, sometimes I think, like, can we just, like, read the Bible and not hear all the commentary anyways? But just me. Psalm 40, verse 1, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, are your wonderful works which you have done. And your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, oh my God, and your law is with my heart. I've proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O oh Lord. You yourself know. So in this Okay, there is going to be some commentary. Um, sorry, but I just, like in this scripture as he's going through, he's talking about what, what he, he's going through and what happened. And he talks about who God is, and, and then, he's, and then I, I see this moment where he's saying, listen, I recognize that I had this choice to either keep silent or talk about who God was and who he is and what he's done. And he says, I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. How many times do we restrain our lips, you know? And God's been good and he's, he's done so many good things for us and you're just like, yeah, but I don't really feel like talking about it. Somebody needs to hear what God's done in your life to help them get through what they're going through. And you're like, I don't, I, you know, I just, I'm not much of a talker. But let's not restrain our lips. He says, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness in your, I've declared I've shouted it out. I've, I've yelled it. I've screamed it from the rooftops. I haven't kept it inside, but I've declared 
your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness or your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. We get back into this moment where he's talking about the stuff, the pit, the mire. My iniquity. So first of all, he talks about what's going on, maybe like what's outside, what's happening outside of him, things happening to him. But then he goes into, see, so many, so many times we can think like, oh, all these things happen. We blame things on everybody else, right? It, it's, it's easy to do, and many times we do it. Oh, well, it's because of this or this person or this reason. But he claims and calls out that there's something in him that shouldn't be there. He says, my iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to look up. It's come to these moments where that sin and that shame, the things inside of him is, have caused him to feel so shameful that he can't even look, can't even raise his head. Now, we don't have to raise our hand, but I know that many of us have been in those moments. We all go through those moments. We have. But what happens in those moments and what do we do? He says, there are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. He says, but God, will you deliver me? Will you, would it please you to deliver me from myself and possibly what's going on outside? Would you please deliver me, O Lord? Make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, aha, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I think that's funny. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha, like they caught you, you know, like somebody comes at you and like, I caught you, you were doing it the right way. And he's saying, let those people be confounded, let them be confused. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. The Lord be magnified. The Lord is good. He's worthy of all honor and all glory. He's worthy to be praised. Let him be magnified. And then he says, but I am poor and needy. But I'm nothing. There's something in here that I think we need to see and, and need to get. Well, really, all of it. But in these moments, his reflection and seeing that it's not anything that he can do. It's not something that he has done or could do that could save him, but it's only God. That all the things that, that he has or could do or will only make it worse. 
but God. He says, yet the Lord thinks upon me. I'm poor and needy, but the Lord, he thinks about me. You are my help and my deliverer. You, he is my help and my deliverer. I'm poor and needy. I can't do anything to save myself. But he is the one that delivers me. He's the one that saves me. And he says, so don't delay. Oh, my God. Do not delay. All right, you guys ready to go? It's not lunchtime yet. I guess I'll keep going. So if we go back to the beginning, and really I want to talk just a little bit about this pit. He says in verse 2, he also brought me up out of a horrible pit, a horrible pit. And this word is shaon. And, and it, it means, it, it's interesting because it means something a little bit different, I guess, than what I felt like it would mean. But it means a, a roar, like a roar of water or an uproar or something coming up around or against you. Like it's this, this rush of being overtaken, like being overtaken suddenly. So this word horrible, it's like this rush of water or this rush, let's just like something just, whew, and it's, it's all overtaken. So he says this horrible pit. And you would think about that and think about, so I, I've, I've fallen into this pit, he says. I, I'm, I'm in this place. And imagine, like a pit, you know, I, who knows how tall it is, but you can't get out, right? Help, I've fallen, and I can't get out. But he says horrible, and he takes this pit that's, that, that he's in, and it's, and it's almost like it's not this thing that just slowly happened, but completely overtaken him all at once. It's rushed in. It's like you're walking in the you know, in the woods, and there's just this big pit, and just, and you drop down into it. And then he talks about this mire, or this mud. And in Jeremiah 38, 6, it says, so they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon, where it says a pit, uh, in some translations, of uh, Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison, and they let Jeremiah down on ropes. It was far. They had to let him down on ropes. They didn't just toss him in. So they let him down on ropes, and in the dungeon, there was no water but mire. So you imagine, it's maybe a well, some kind of pit that probably had water in it sometimes, but it had no water at this time. There was no water but mire, but mud. So Jeremiah sank into the mire. So you get this picture out of this story of Jeremiah where this mire and this mud is this like, you ever, <laughs> you ever been in, in, in like mud that you just sink down in and you can't really get out? You can't really move your feet. Or you know, like it just, so we've got this story when we were on vacation a handful of years ago, and Monroe was like a little kid. He was, I don't know, what was he, like three years old or five years old? 
and we're walking back from the beach and just, you know, chugging along with our little ducks in a row and everything's good, walking back to the place we were staying. And all of a sudden, (laughs) there was like a house or something being built and a driveway that was just poured. And the guy was like up closer to the house that was like smoothing out the concrete. And Monroe's like just walking like this. He's got his sandals on. And and he's just, I don't know, you know, what possesses kids to do these sorts of things. I, I don't know. But, you know, he's walking straight and then he's not. And it happened to be right where the wet cement was. So he steps off and goes, like this is stuck. <laughs> and he's like, ah, you know, it screams. And we turn around and he's just, just both feet just stuck there. He's like, you know, like can't move. So I go over and grab him and just like, and they're like, I imagine, I can't remember really, but there was like a sound effect to it, you know, it makes it better. But I pull him out and he's got concrete on his feet and I'm like, okay, we got to walk to the place we're staying so we can wash this off and we walk a few steps and I'm like, where's your sandals? And he's like, <laughs> and his sandals were stuck in there. But he was stuck. He couldn't move, you know? And when, uh, like in Jeremiah, but, but when David is saying in this scripture, he's like, this pit that's come, it's rushed up. It's all of a sudden I've fallen into this pit. And at the bottom of this pit, there's mud, there's mire. It's, it's like this mud that, that you can't hardly move. It's not just a pit. There's all kinds of other things in it. So you can imagine, like, this is, this is pretty serious. <laughs> in verse 1, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. For the, the first thing really is David cries out to God. What happens in those moments when we're, we've fallen into the pit? We're in the mire. There's a rush, a roar, this horrible pit that is rushed up all around us. And, and at the bottom, there's mud. And it's like, yeah, fine. I fell into a pit. But not only that, I, I can't move. It's, it's dark. And my feet are stuck. I feel like I can't even do anything to help myself get out of this. And it says that David cried out to the Lord. He says he heard my cry. I think one of the reasons that, that God loved David so much is that he cried a lot. Not just cried, but cried out to him. Like there's so many scriptures that, that talk about him crying and weeping. You want to hear another one? I'll tell you. Oh, where is it? In Psalm 6, 6, he says, I am weary with, mor- with my mourning. Every night I flood my bed with, I flood my bed 
with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. That's pretty serious crying. Again, a story about Monroe. The dude has like fire hoses that come out of his eyes when he cries. And whenever I read this scripture, I think about him. Because, I, I mean, I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm a little dehydrated or something. Like the tears don't flow that easy. But like, bro, like not only do the tears, it's just like, like this. And then he's got like salt stains, salt stains on his, on his face. Anyway. David cried out to God. He fell on his face before him, crying out to him, pleading with him, saying, God, you're the only one that can help me. I can't help myself. All this stuff is happening around me, these things happening to me, these things that I've done that have made a mess of my situation. All these different things have happened. But God, you can save me. I trust in you. And in verse 4, it says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud. We can't trust people. We got to trust God. Who are we putting our trust in? In these moments, are we looking to somebody else to save us? Or are we looking to God? God is not necessarily happy when we put our trust in things or other people. Psalm 118.8, it says, It's better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in a man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Okay, no, it's better to trust in God than to put confidence in a man, to put our trust in a man. But he's like, listen, just in case you don't understand it, it's better than even putting your trust in any kind of leader, any kind of person that has some stature. It doesn't matter who the man is. It's still better to put our trust in God. We don't put our trust in a man, no matter who they are. So we don't just cry out to anybody, we cry out to God. And then in verse 1 it says also, I waited patiently, cried out. And this is a hard part. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord. Or another way to translate that or, or way to say it is, I waited intently intently for the Lord. And this is important for us because like I said, it's not easy to wait. We get impatient. Has anybody been in like a doctor's office? I, I really don't have to add any more to that. So I was going to say with lots of people, but really it doesn't matter if there's lots of people. Just being in a doctor's office and it feels like, it's like I don't see anybody else around. I've been waiting here for an hour. I don't understand. I'm the only one. Okay. But being in a place where there's like a huge long line or you have to wait and it's not 
easy to wait in any part of our lives. And we translate that to our relationship with God. And we think if God doesn't do something right now, right here, right in this moment, that something's wrong. Like, God, what's wrong? I cried out to you. But God's not on our timeline. And the Bible tells us that he will answer, that he does care for us. He does care for his people, and, and he will, or he does have good for us. Just doesn't say that he'll do it right away. You guys aren't that happy about that one, but that's okay. <laughs> Waiting for God is a, is a huge part of every Christian's life or story. Because we either do it or we don't. It's a huge part because we don't and we go the wrong way or go our own way or it's a huge part because we do wait on him and we see what he does and what he wants to do for us. In Psalm 37, 9, it says, For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. It's pretty awesome. I want to wait just to see how I inherit the earth, you know? I don't know exactly what that like entails, but, but I know that God does have something for me that will, if I wait on him, has to do with an inheritance, an inheritance of his portion that he has given to me, his portion that he has given to you, what he wants you to do, what he wants you to accomplish. But if we can't wait, I don't think that we're going to see it. And I've been in those places myself before. I'm just going to talk about myself because I don't want to call you guys out, where it's, it's hard to wait and you try to do stuff on your own and you get anxious and you just keep going. And pretty much every time, it just gets messed up because it's me, because I'm not waiting. There's a couple of things also, and a couple of verses later, I think it's verse 11, it says, but the humble one, it changes the words a little bit. It says, but the humble one will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Those who wait those who wait are humble. There's humility. Again, thinking about a doctor's office or one of those long lines. You know those ones that are super impatient that can't wait? I'm sorry if this is you. <laughs> but there's, I, I just, I think about it, I think, man, why do you think you're so much better than everybody else? Why is it that, that you think that you should, you know, they're trying to skip in line? And I've done that before. Call myself out. But we need a humility to wait on God. Because when we don't, 
wait and trust in him and wait for him, there's a pride in that because I think that I can do it on my own. I have a pride in myself because I think I can just go and do it. But humility says wait. Wait for God. And then in verse 2 he says, He brought me out of the pit of tumult. David is delivered because he cried out and he waited. He brought me out of the pit, out of the miry clay, he says again, this, this miry, this nasty mud that I was stuck in at the bottom of this pit. He brought me out of it and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps firm. Not only does God bring us out of this situation, but he wants to put us on firm ground. He doesn't bring us out and then put us on sand. He doesn't bring us out to put us in another situation, but he wants to bring us out to be on firm ground so that we can stand firm in who he is. Not only so that we can be out of this pit or this situation, but so that we can be strong and steadfast and immovable. He set my feet upon a rock and made my steps firm. In verse 3, He has put a new song in my mouth. So there's, you see this progression, if you will. There's the situation. There's the response. There's God getting him out. And then there's another response. This, this thing is bookended. This situation. With David crying out to God for help. But then at the end, he doesn't forget to cry out to God to give him glory. To give him praise. To tell of how good God has been. He says, he put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and I will trust in the Lord. We gotta sing. God wants to put a new song in your heart. See, God wants to do these things. He wants to bring us out of these situations, not just so we can sit around and twiddle our thumbs, not just so we can sit around and mope, but he wants to do it because he wants to see a new song in our heart. And I look, I'm not going to be the one to sing. It doesn't mean you have to get up here and sing, but there should be a joy and an expectancy and a, and a song, a praise, a, a glorifying God in your heart. It doesn't even have to come out of your mouth, but there better be a song. There better be something in you when God does something for you.
we going to trust him? Are we going to wait on him? Now, I'm just going to conclude with that. Is I, I love in this scripture seeing this, this back and forth of David just talking or, or writing this song that's in his heart and saying, I've been in a messy place. I've been stuck, but God got me out. But I'm a mess. <laughs> but God is good. <laughs> but I'm nothing. But God is everything. And it's this, <laughs> this conversation between he, between he and God is saying, God, I need you. Because I can't do it myself. I trust in you. I will wait on you. Will we trust him? Will you stand with me? Thanks for listening today. We pray this message encourages you. If you have any questions or you'd like to learn more about us as a church, you can always visit us online by going to lifechurchstl.com.